Well, it's my pleasure to introduce um, our guest missionary uh, this morning, our preacher uh, for you, Dustin Meadows. Dustin and I uh, attended Central Baptist College in Conway together, and uh, he's a graduate of Central Baptist College, and uh, it's a joy to have him uh, and his wife Candy and their family with us uh, today. And be sure uh, after the service that, that you... Uh, you come and talk to him and, and let him know how much you appreciate him. Uh, real quickly, so I don't take up too much of his time, we, um, Dustin represents a, a ministry called Reaching and Teaching International. And their ministry, just to kind of encapsulate that, I um, hope I do this right, Dustin, but what, what I think you ought to know is uh, they train leaders and they train pastors in order to help plant local churches. And they help churches like us be a part of Fulfilling the Great Commission uh, through training leaders uh, and preachers and pastors. And so um, he, uh, I don't know how much of that he's going to be able to talk to you about this morning, hopefully uh, some, but uh, you welcome him. And the number one thing you need to know about Dustin is Dustin has a great love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we are, uh, we're blessed to have him with us this morning. We had a uh, a meeting uh, a few months back with just a, a few people in our church. Justin was, able to, Justin was able to come down and tell us a little bit about his ministry and what he'll be doing. And so there's a few of our, our, our people that, that know what his mission is and what he's going to be doing, and, and we're excited to get him back to preach to you so you can hear from him yourselves. So, Dustin, would you come? Let's welcome Dustin. That's green. You got it? I feel like I'm talking to a train. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. It is my privilege to be with you this morning. I am truly, truly privileged uh, to come. Um, just real quick, I've got a lot I want to tell you today. So uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my story and how the Lord has brought us here. Brought us here. And then I just want to share with you some from the scriptures that I think matters to us as uh, we seek the Lord. But uh, so, most important thing about me, uh, besides my relationship with Christ, is that I married way, way up. So the pretty blonde right there is my bride. Um, don't know how I got her, but uh, I did, and I'm thankful for the Lord to that. So that's proof He still works miracles. I believe. Uh, we have three kind, loving, well-behaved children and a toddler. Um, so he's not saved yet, so pray for him, please. Uh, there's a great theologian that said toddlers are vipers in a diaper, and I believe he is correct there. So he is somewhere else t tormenting people. And so I uh, love my kids. All, all kids are a blessing from the Lord. He just barely made the cut. But So uh, I've been pastoring several years, um, been working in ministry now, I guess, half my life. Uh, I'm getting to that age that you can say that. So I'm 36 now, uh, which means I hope that I've got some good years still to give to the Lord. Uh, but I do believe I don't have any years to waste. I think he's worth all of them. So I, uh, my family and I have answered the call to missions. So we just resigned our pastorate and are getting prepared to leave. We'll be going to language school in Costa Rica. And um, 
we thought, you know, all of our prayer cards, if you see, our, we've got prayer cards right outside this door. If you pick up a prayer card, it's going to say Argentina. Uh, and up until this week, it was Argentina. And uh, things have changed. So Candy and I have always tried to live our life one foot raised. So wherever the Lord leads us, we want to be able to follow. Uh, and we were headed to, it, it kind of feels like spiritual twister, honestly. So we were headed this way, and now it's right foot green, and so we're trying to figure out where this is. So let me tell you a quick story. Uh, I was sharing my vision for ministry with a group of pastors in Conway, Arkansas. Um, I was scheduled for uh, a, about an hour, and they came in and said, we've all got to go to a meeting in 10 minutes. I'm really sorry. Can you do this in 10 minutes? So sure thing, both barrels blazed, and I just, and I was only able to meet about three of the 15 pastors that was there. It happened so fast. I called Candy and said, that was a waste of time. There's nothing going to come of that. The next day, a man called me and said, I've been so pricked in my spirit since you talked, I've got to ask you a question. I said, sure, shoot. He said, if I was to give you a ministry compound in Honduras, would you take it? I said, huh? And long story short, his best friend was a missionary in Honduras for 40 years where they have trained leaders. And they've planted over 130 churches in the country, and God has blessed them tremendously. But his best friend passed away last year. And they lost all their funding, and they lost their leader. And he said, after hearing your vision, it lines up so perfectly with ours, I just kept thinking, maybe you're the guy. And so we took a vision trip Monday morning. We were in Honduras, and Thursday morning we got back, and we believe the Lord is leading us now to Honduras. I don't have updated prayer cards yet. (laughs) So just scratch out Argentina, if you would pray for us. They have a Bible institute there where they train leaders. It's a brick-and-mortar um, thing. We've talked with Reaching and Teaching. Our Reaching and Teaching president came down. And this will be a new thing for Reaching and Teaching to be able to look at something that's brick-and-mortar. A lot of what we do is we go into places that do not have access to um, any sort of pastoral training at all. So the stats are 85% of all evangelical pastors have little to no access to any sort of theological training. 85%. That's an awful lot. Now, that you kind of see where we're going. (laughs) So it says Argentina, we're not going to Argentina, so that will maybe alleviate some of that confusion. So my story, how this got started, was five days after I graduated high school, I went on my very first mission trip, very first time I was out of southeastern Oklahoma, actually, and went to Malawi, which is a country in southern Africa. I worked with an evangelistic team, and we tried to plant a church. So worked for about 14 days evangelizing, and at the end of the trip, we did a baptismal service for the, the new church plant. I was talking with the pastor, the one who was going to, the national brother who would be serving at the church, and I said, so you're really excited about this? You get to pastor this church. And he said, well... This would be my 60th church to pastor. And I honestly got a little mad at him because all I knew about the way pastors worked back in America is as soon as they got a bigger and a better offer, they would leave their church and go to another one. And so I was mad at him, called him a jerk, right? He didn't understand me. But uh, I was like, I can't believe you that you would just leave and do that. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I currently pastor 59 churches. This will be my 60th. And I said, probably what you're thinking. 
Why? Why would you? I hear one of them is miserable. Why would you want 60, right? Pastoring is not that fun, is it? And he said, well, we have no qualified men. Our men have been evangelized. They've received the gospel, but they've never been discipled. They're not equipped to pastor and train others. And so I was shocked. Everything that I was on cloud nine about, I was just heartbroken. Because I'd went and I'd really thought that we'd done this guy a favor. I'd really thought that everything that we had worked toward was super good. But I realized we didn't fully obey the Great Commission at that point. See, the Great Commission is really set up into two parts. We're called to reach them, but if all we do is reach them, we've failed. The Great Commission calls us to reach and to teach. We're called to make disciples. And a disciple is somebody who follows Christ and can help others follow Christ. And we hadn't done that. I felt like we'd had a brand new baby and I'd set it on the firehouse doorstep hoping there'd be some fireman there to take care of it. What I didn't know is he was there. He just had 59 other infants he was looking out after. It's not good. Anybody ever been around one infant? It broke my heart. And I thought at the time that this was a problem just in maybe Malawi or maybe certain parts of Africa that the gospel hadn't been for very long. And then I found out that 85% of all pastors have never had any sort of training at all. So I guess if I was to ask you in a different way, I'd ask you this. Have any of you ever been impacted? Has your life changed by a godly pastor? Has a godly pastor ever affected you at all? Two of you? Oh, there's hands. Yeah, great. Most of us could say, yes, some godly pastor has had some sort of impact on me. Well, the reason you can say that is you know 235 people and you had that chance. Because here in the United States, there's one trained theological worker for every 235 people. If you live somewhere outside of our borders, your odds are not quite as good. If you live somewhere else, you have to know 450,000 people to have the same chance. Here it's one to every 235. Outside, you have to know 450,000. There's one trained theological worker for every 450,000 people. And frankly, that's just not a number I'm okay with. And I hope that's not a number you're okay with. 450,000 people is not okay. See, right after I got back from Malawi, I realized that I wanted to train leaders. And so a couple of months later, I went to uh, Falls Creek, which is a gigantic Christian camp in Oklahoma. But we were doing a youth evangelism conference. And the speaker stood up, and there's 7,000 people at this camp. Okay, it's huge. Um, goes way on up, big theater seating. And the speaker called this young kid up. He was a young, tall, lean kid, looked like a sprinter. And he said, you're going to be our goer today. And he said, everybody that you can high-five, I'm going to count to two minutes. He had a stopwatch. He said, I'm going to go two minutes. When I say go, you go high-five as many people as you can. Ready, go. And our faithful sprinter took off. <laughs> so up, uh, those of us who are way up in the back are laughing like he's never getting done. Right? He's not going to. 
So two, two minutes goes by. The guy blows the whistle, stops the clock, and says, all right, come back. If you were not touched, or if you were touched, sit down. Right? And so just some people along the front and along the aisles up toward the front of the, of the auditorium started to sit down. He got several hundred people. Right? It was pretty impressive. Totally gassed out. Nobody can sprint for two minutes, right? So he calls the guy back up and says, we're going to try this again. This time, though, it'll be different. The difference this time is everybody that you high-five can then go and start high-fiving other people. He said, but this time you only have one minute. Ready, go. And he hits the clock again where our faithful sprinter takes off, high-fiving as many people as he can. This time he's not trying to get those on the inside, though. He's just going to the aisles. And then it, we're watching as it spreads. One minute went by a lot faster. But he said, stop. Brought everybody up and said, if you were touched, sit down. And in a minute, everybody but the very outside edges on the very top had sat down. And the point was simple. If you have to go and make disciples by yourself, you're never going to make it. I don't believe God has called me to reach all of Honduras. I don't think that's possible. I don't think the Lord can use just me to reach all of Central America. I'm one person. Right? But what God does do is he helps us to train others who can train others and do the same. The goal is not to reach the world. That's not obedience. The goal is to make disciples who can make disciples. That's what Paul has called us to do in 2 Timothy. He says, these things you've heard and learned from me, go and treat these to other faithful men who can in turn teach others. This is a faith that is supposed to be passed on. This is why we tell our parents, you've got to be teaching your children. Why we tell our grandparents, we've got to be teaching your children and your children's children. God's intention for the faith is always for it to be passed on and to train others to pass it on as well. And in a situation like what we're doing, going into places like... Honduras or Papua New Guinea or wherever that somebody is going. Um, we're dealing with a different mindset. And going and simply evangelizing by, evangelizing by itself is not going to work. I'll tell you a story I heard that broke my heart. A group of missionaries went into a tribal area and shared the gospel. And they said very simply that there was this God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. And these people believed. And they came back the next year, same missionaries came back and said, so do you have any questions about anything? And one of the men raised his hands and he said, yes. In our tribe, we know that the world came about because there were two giant birds that mated and created all of humankind. We want to know which one of those birds gave his son. Is that a problem to anybody? You see, we've got to stay longer. This whole rushing through and trying to get to everybody very quickly does not work because we've got to stay and teach and proclaim the truth of God. To let He has revealed himself to us and we must make sure that we can explain and teach through that revelation to them. Making disciples matters. It matters. Because you and I, 
when we think wrongly about God, we're idolatry, idolaters at best. That's what we are. We must think rightly about him. And when we run through with missions and we do not make disciples, we allow them to think improperly about our Lord and Savior. And that's not okay. Because it will affect their mission. It will affect their family life. See, thinking rightly about God makes me a better husband. Makes me a better father. Changing their communities will happen by making disciples. And so the question comes a lot of times about training training leaders overseas, and, and people will say things. A lot of times we go, so you got four kids and a pretty wife, why do you want to take them overseas? And my answer is the Bible. The Bible teaches us to do that. The Bible teaches that the world needs to hear the gospel. So turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 3. <coughs> Genesis 3, you know the story. This is the story of the fall with Adam and Eve in the garden, and the serpent comes in his deceptiveness. So let's start reading in verse 6. Scripture says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, we realize when they sinned, sin brought death in the world, and that's a lot of times all that we think about. This is when death entered. There was a lot more than that. This is when shame and guilt and fear came into the world. They didn't know those things until they committed this sin, but they recognized what their sin had done. They knew immediately that their relationship with their Creator was broken. They recognized that this uh, thing that they had done had separated them from their God. So they did the best to fix it themselves. You see, they looked at themselves and they knew that they were naked, right? They knew that. They knew something was not right, so they did what any good American would do and try to fix it themselves. They sewed fig leaves together. <coughs> now, what's so interesting to me is they knew they were naked and they covered themselves. They did what you and I do. We cover ourselves. And then when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking and coming to them, what did Adam and Eve do? They still went and hid. Now, were they naked? By our standards, no. 
They had fig leaves. And so God said, why did you hide? We knew we were naked. Am I the only one getting that? Isn't that weird? You're not naked. You made clothes. Right? We don't look at Adam and say, he's naked. He's wearing stuff. Praise God. Right? But Adam says, I'm naked. He recognized that those clothes that he had made did not actually fix the problem. Adam here is hopeless and he is helpless. He's hopeless and he's helpless. He did not realize that this thing that he had done, that there was such thing as mercy that could fix it. There wasn't anything as forgiveness. He didn't realize that there was something called grace. He didn't know that there was something called love. He didn't know the gospel. Adam and Eve, if you look at this and break it down, they, in their shame and their guilt and their impending death, their, their spirit has died and now their, soul, or their body will soon die. In this misery, he had nothing good and nothing to hope for, and he had no help. And so God brought himself, and he came with hope for the hopeless. God is the first and greatest missionary. He came and brought the good news to those who needed it. This is the very first time in the entire scriptures that the good news is spoken. You know, the first two chapters of the Bible reveal perfect history. There's no mistakes in it. Chapter 3, we show up. So the first two chapters and the last two chapters, and the last two is where God will remake everything. This is the restoration of all things. So the first and the last two are absolute perfect history. The rest is the train, where, train wreck where we are. In the scriptures, it's so interesting to me, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, they start the script, God starts to tell the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and it takes 14 verses to explain what happened. The very first time that the good news could be spoken is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the very first time God proclaims the gospel is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's the proto-evangelium. It is the first gospel. This is God's plan of redemption that is revealed to the hopeless. He is exclaiming to them that He will fix this. That He, in His majestic grace can come and um, rebuild what was destroyed. This promise here in 3.15, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel, is the declaration of Christ's victory and the declaration of Satan's defeat all in one. Now, this is what happens here. All mankind, what does the world need to know? They need to know the gospel. All mankind realizes that their relationship with their creator has been broken. We've tried all sorts of things to try to recreate and retie that together. That's actually what religion means, right? Religion comes from the Latin ligare. I'm, I'm not a nerd. Um, I just happen to know that, okay? Ligare means to tie or to bind, and then re means again. Re what religion is, is we try to reconnect, retie, or rebind our connection with our creator and we do things like sow fig leaves we do things like hey let's try this morality thing out i think god will be really impressed with this all creation all mankind has something where they're animistic and they worship the spirits and the ancestors and mother nature right to try to see if that works 
there's Hindus, there's Muslims, there's Bible Belt Christians that aren't really Christians because they've just fallen into this Christianity is something that's fashionable idea, and so we'll show up to church. We have all these different things that we try to retie, but none of them work. I promise you, Adam realized as soon as he knew God was coming, he knew that that wasn't going to work. His fig leaves worked for a little while. He built them together and he says, Hey, Eve, I can't see you anymore, right? You're covered up. I think you're good. She said, Adam, I think you're good too. Great. I think we're going to be all right. And then they heard God coming. And they realized everything that they had done was not going to be sufficient. And that's the thing. God calls us to go and make disciples because He's coming. When He comes, all those fake fig leaves, all those things we tried, all mankind has tried to retie to their Creator is not going to work. And so the world needs the gospel. That's what they need. They wor- the world needs a people who will believe the gospel. You see, the world teaches several things. Some of the world will say that universalism is all right. Universalism means that at the end of the day, everybody gets to go to heaven. Anybody ever heard this philosophy? At the end of the day, everybody gets to go to heaven. God is love, and there's no way in the world He would send anybody to hell. The problem with that, of course, is the Bible, right? Because that's a terrible view of who God is. Yes, He is love, but He's also holy and just. It's also a terrible view of sin. It's way worse than what you're thinking it is. The, uh, the world also teaches something called pluralism. Pluralism is the idea that all religions lead to God. And they say things like, hey, you just take your road and I'll take my road and I'll meet you up on top of the mountain. Won't that be great? Well, again, it just doesn't stand the test of Scripture. The world also will teach inclusivism. Inclusivism is a tough one because they believe that there can be people who will actually be saved apart from Christ. And I say it's a tough one because when I say it like that, you're all like, oh no, that's terrible. But when a good old boy's casket is up here, who's never been in church, but he's so likable that everybody here loves him, we say things like, well, you know, he's in a better place. We, we throw the gospel out the window. I know that's hard. But we must believe the Bible. The Bible teaches that those three isms need to become wasms. We should not believe universalism, pluralism, or inclusivism. We must believe what the Bible teaches, and that is exclusivism. That there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. We must believe that Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life and die a perfect death so that He could exchange His righteousness for our filthy rags and now we can stand in perfect union with God again. That's the only way. There's only one way for God to overlook our sins is for for those sins to be placed in Christ and for Him to die and be crucified for them. That's the only way. We sing a song, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, He to rescue me from danger interposed His precious blood. That's not just a hymn, that's my testimony. 
That's how it happens. That's how salvation happens. Is God came and loved me. He rescued me. That's the gospel. It is not that he saw I was trying. It's that he made me alive. Salvation only comes through a personal faith commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the only way. If you're walking through the jungle and you get bit by a snake, just because you know somebody that has the antivenom does not mean you're okay. If you know that there's an antivenom exists, that doesn't mean you're okay. There's only one way for you to live through that. And that is you have to get and receive the antivenom. That's the only cure. And that, so it is with the sting of sin. There's only one cure, and that is in the body and blood of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. For us, that's the only cure. This is the only hope for the nations. All unredeemed people will be in hell for eternity. That's the Bible. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's our great reason for this urgency to go, to preach, to proclaim the gospel. The need of the nations is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over two billion people have never heard that great name. You know, 95% of the world knows what the Coca-Cola logo looks like. And 33% of the world have never heard the gospel. Anybody else not okay with that? There are still untold millions, still untold. So many have never heard that there's a cure. Now, the fact that people are going to hell is a motivation for missions. It is. But I don't think it's the best one. The greatest motivation for missions is for God and His glory. We're promised in Habakkuk that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we're promised in Revelation 7, 9 that his mission is successful. Scripture says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's mission is successful. And every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will be singing glory and praise and honor to our King. The glory of God is our motivation for missions. You know, I started pastoring this little church um, that is, I, I, can't tell, I can't tell you how to get there. You've got to go to the end of the map, and then you make a left, and it's way out in the boonies, okay? And I love that little church. But I was there about three months, and one of the ladies said something kind of silly. Uh, we had just a, a pretty good song service, and she leaned forward, and she goes, I bet you can preach after that. And I thought, no, you don't get it. You don't have to sing so that I'll be able to preach. I preach so that you will sing. The church proclaims the gospel so that the nations will sing. He is worthy of all of our love, of all of our praise, 
and we should join the nations in singing him. Maybe I'm the only one that gets it. I can't see you. I don't know if y'all may all not be there anymore. I hope you get it. That when we evangelize, we create worshipers. And we make disciples so that people will worship more purely and more faithfully. And that impacts everything in their life, in their families, in their homes, in their communities. Things are changed when they see the greatness of our God. So I'm asking you this morning to see how great and mighty He is and to join me in telling the others until they all see, till we all see collectively who He is and what He's worth. The only way God has chosen to reach the world is the body of Christ. It's often scared me that God has no plan B. He has chosen you and me to do it. And every one of us has a role to play. I believe every member of the kingdom has been called to kingdom work. We all have a role to play. The great father of modern missions, William Carey, said to some brothers, he said, I'm willing to go down into the mine, but you have to hold the rope. Uh, I was doing some roofing one time, and I had to have a brother come and tie, let me tie off to him as I went down one side. It was like a 9-12 pitch roof. It was very dangerous. And we used a long extension cord that thankfully held up. So I went down, and he was holding me with all he had. And then I turned and we tried to climb back up. He was pulling and I was pulling. And we got up and we both looked at our hands. And we were both calloused and cut open a little. You know, sometimes we think that the missionaries are the only ones that are supposed to have the job of telling people. Missionaries are the only ones that are supposed to make sacrifices for the kingdom. And that's not the case. Just because I was the one that went off the side of the roof was not, did not mean I was the only one that worked. He might have sacrificed even more than I did because he had to hold my weight. Right? And that was William Carey's point is that no goer can go by themselves. It takes cinders. It takes a team of cinders for every goer. Anybody here like to bow hunt? Yeah, okay, there's a guy. This guy kind of looks like a man's man anyway, right? So, if I was to give this guy an arrow and say, here, go harvest an animal, what's his odds? Not very good, right? Even though he's a stud. Right? Or if I was to say, hey, take this bow and go, I mean, he could jump out of the tree and Rambo the thing, but the odds are not as good as if I was to give him an arrow and a bow. At that time, he would literally have a shot. Right? So it is with missionaries and with missions. Missionaries are people who are willing to be an arrow but are totally useless without a bow. And it's so neat to see how God uses every member of the kingdom to do kingdom work. So I'm, I'm asking today, I'm asking for prayer partners. 
Candy and I are seeking 250 people who will be willing to pray with us as we go and as we try to train pastors in uh, Honduras and in Central America. And we actually have an opportunity to be a missionary training site where other missionaries that we make um, connections with, we want to bring in their believers that want to be cross-cultural missionaries. We're going to bring them in and train them cross-cultural training so that they can go into other parts of the world. You know, you and I, we have a hard time getting into the 1040 window sometimes. My blue pass, my navy blue passport is flagged as soon as I get in there. Right? And I will be watched the whole time. But there's some people from the global south, from Central and South America, that can get into the 1040 window way better than we can. Their culture looks a lot more like it. Brazil is already sending out more missionaries than the United States. So one of the ways that we can reach the world is to better train them so that they can do what they need to do. Uh, we've got prayer cards out there. If you're willing to pray, pray for us, uh, you can fill out this little card that says, I'll pray, and I would love to have you as a prayer partner because we can't go without it. There's financial partners as well. Um, with this, I want you to understand something. No, just forget I'm here as a missionary. Just listen as a preacher, okay? I want to help you be obedient to Christ. So many of us, we think, man, I can't give $1,000 a month. I don't know how I could be any help. Understand something. If your church, if everybody in your church gave $50 a month, it's so expensive to send missionaries. If everybody gave $50 a month, you still couldn't send one. You send like three. Do you know that? You guys together can do amazing things for the Lord. You don't have to be rich. If you know somebody that can give $1,000 a month, though, you can write their number down. Not there. No, no I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Here's the great part. This is partnership in the ministry. Flip with me real fast. I want to show you something in 3 John. That's right at the very end. <coughs> so Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, making mention of you always in my prayer with joy. And he says to his church at Philippi, for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? It's a partnership. See this in 3 John. He said, Beloved, in verse 5, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to, su we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I think the Church of America has a very bad, poor understanding of sending. Right? We've so lowered sending, and I, and I just want to encourage you, even if it's not for me, for the next guy. Understand that from the beginning, it is always understood that we can be fellow workers of the truth. Right? I have a part, my family has a part uh, with a translation of scripture in Tajikistan because we, we support this young lady who every time the, it thaws she goes over the mountains and she meets with this group of people that nobody has ever been to before. She's learning their language and she's translating the Bible. We have a part of that even though I've never been. I don't know a word. 
We have a part because we can help her. We're fellow workers for the truth of the gospel. So understand that you get to be a part of this. Understand that you get to be a part of God's glory going out to the nations, whether you go or not. Because we're all called to make disciples. And so make disciples here, make disciples anywhere, (laughs) come go with us, we need some help. But be obedient to Christ. I'm finishing up, I know you panicked, okay? I'm about done. My plea for you this morning is not to give yourself to missions. My plea for you this morning is not to invite Jesus into your heart. I, I, I don't like that term, okay? For a lot of reasons. One, nobody has a clue what it means. Right? I've counseled a lot, of, a lot of kids and students that go, Where, how do I talk to my heart to get it to open a door? Right? It's confusing. The second thing is I don't think that's really what Christianity is. Christianity is not very much about inviting Christ into my life to, to work on my plans and my purposes and to help me do these things the right way. Christianity is a lot more about God inviting us into His heart and into His plans and into His purposes and being able to live our lives for Him. So I told you, I don't want you to give yourself to missions. That's silly. I want you to give yourself to Christ and let Christ do whatever He would have you to do. I promise you it will have something to do with missions. It will have something to do with making disciples. Because that's what God's heart is. God's heart is making disciples of all nations, of every tribe, tongue, and people. Our old president used to say, night is coming when no man can work. See, we have an eternity to enjoy our rewards, but we only have a moment to earn them. And I encourage you, nobody is ever felt like they gave too much to Christ. Many missionaries have said, I've never made a sacrifice. Not for Him. I encourage you this morning to give yourself to Him. To sacrifice your plans and your purposes for His plans and for His purposes. For His glory among the nations. And I encourage you this morning that if you've been trusting in some fig leaves, if you've been trusting that because your name is on this church roll or because you've, you think your goodness has outweighed your badness, whatever your fig leaves are that you're thinking might reconnect you with the Lord, I just want to encourage you to repent of those. Because it's very simple. The gospel is Jesus plus absolutely nothing else. If you're trying to add anything to this relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to repent of it. A lot of times... People think, well, I'm just going to add Jesus to what I'm already doing. You can't do that. To accept Christ is to repent and throw everything else that you hope in away. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for your glory to be seen in me and in these people. Father, I pray that you help us to trust in you and you alone.
to help us to love your gospel and to believe it with all we have. That this is not another way, that this is the only way. Father, we're so grateful that just as you came in the garden to proclaim good news, you are still sending forth your good news. I'm thankful that we've heard it. Many of us have received it. And God, I'm thankful that many of the nations are hearing it. And God, I pray for a great move of your Holy Spirit throughout the world. That many more would join us as worshipers. God, help us to be obedient to you. Be glorified in us. I pray your richest blessings upon these people in this sweet church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Would you stand please?